Hello and welcome to the podcast, Love, Life and Loss. This week you will hear Jan's story. Listen as Jan tells her story of what it was like to lose her son after a number of miscarriages and years of trying. You will hear how Jan was determined to use her own grief to help others. Jan used to work for a charity called Sands and now she works for a charity called Chums and over the years she has done so much to help others including myself and continues to do so. It's my privilege to share her story with you today so please join us. Welcome to the podcast, Love, Life and Loss. Hi, Jan. Thanks for joining us today. I'm so happy that you agreed to do this. Would you like to introduce yourself? Yes. So um, I'm delighted to be here. It's lovely to to do this with you. So I'm Jan Cooper. Um, So I work for a a service in Bedfordshire called Chums. Um, Chums, as an umbrella service, has lots of different services underneath um, and I'm the service lead for our baby loss bereavement service so we support people who've um, very sadly had a later loss in pregnancy um, so a late miscarriage 18 weeks on kind of time um, who've had a stillborn baby or who've had to have a compassionate termination. So maybe they've gone for their 20-week scan and found that baby has insurmountable medical problems. So for some families, um, that might be that they um, have a compassionate termination of that pregnancy. For some families, they'll continue the pregnancy and will support along the way. They know that their little one's going to die, but um, but they, they choose to continue. And then we also support people who've had um, a neonatal death as well. So, um, yeah, I think that sort of about covers it. um, So the service, the baby loss service, is actually one of our charity-funded services under CHUMS. Um, A lot of our services are children's ones and they're commissioned services, but we have... um, Five, I think, um, that are purely funded by fundraising and um, and baby loss is one of those. The only reason that we, um, I guess, I always feel it's it's quite a difficult thing, isn't it, when you say actually we, we support people who've had a loss after this kind of point in a pregnancy. And that in no means what devalues the experience that people have had with an earlier loss. We simply don't have capacity um so within our service there's um myself three days a week and uh, a colleague karen who is one day a week and then um two or three volunteers who help with various different things um you must have a you must have a big caseload then jan yeah, it's um, so I do three days for baby loss and I also work for another part of the service. Um, so working with children and families who've been bereaved. So maybe a parent has died or um, within our bereavement service. I do have um, quite a big caseload. I guess last year, last year we had 51 new referrals. Um 
So that would be maybe from bereavement midwives at the local hospitals. That could a lot of about half of those were self-referrals. So they were given couples who were given information, um, perhaps by hospital, by GP, by health visitor, um, who then made contact with us themselves. Some might have come from community midwives or GPs. I guess, so we have those 51 new referrals. I, um, some of them may have been very recent losses, but actually some of them may have been yeah, some months ago, some years ago even. Um, and alongside our new referrals, we support people um, that have been in service with us sort of previously as well. So it may be, I think probably we hold around 80 to 90 people, I guess. Wow. That's amazing. One thing I'm th I keep thinking when you're saying it, the amount of people, you remember everybody's names and all their children's names and all their husbands' names and everybody. So you must have such a great memory. And it's, it's so cool that you even remember everybody like that. I do my best. It's important, isn't it? It's like, the, you know, they're not numbers and they're not each one is an individual. And I don't get it right all of the time. I, re I wish I did. Um, but it is important. And, and, like with so many things, sometimes I can remember their baby's name and maybe have to bring their name to 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 play. I think that happens quite a lot, doesn't it? Even at the school, you always know by your kids that so-and-so's mum. Yeah, absolutely. And um yeah, so I think there's a little bit of that too. And it's important um, you know, that 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 service I think I was trying to think actually before I came on this morning to think how long it's been running um and I think it must be 12 years now um since it began and it started as a project um that we were asked to do that was a as a just an independent project for a year and we were um it was around um palliative care pathways for oh. babies and um and so it was between the hospital and hospice care and then kind of what was out there and um and I know our my CEO of, of Chums um knew very well firstly that it's um something that I'm you know that I feel really strongly about and I'm a bereaved parent as well um so and I'd worked a lot for a lot of years for SANS and um, run a lot of groups and things. So when we, chums were asked to do it, she was like, hmm, I think I know like who might really want to do this. And then from there, really, it was it it just went on, you know, that there was such a gap and there was such a need for support um, and so hard to realise that, you know, people were coming out, you know, of, of hospital and, and not being offered support that um yeah we we kind of jumped straight in really at that point um and it was it was commissioned for a short time for Luton only um there was a pocket of funding and um which we were hugely grateful for um because basically what it meant was to do this so my full-time role with the children's bereavement service, um, you know, obviously had to change. Um, so it was funded for a, a, 
two or three years, I think. And then and and that pot of funding then ran dry. Um, so we then had to take it on as um, okay, well, we'll fundraise for it. Um, amongst we do that for our trauma service, and um, we have a service for people who've been bereaved of suicide and various other things. And so, yeah, the fundraisers bless them, particularly at the moment. Um, yeah, it's been a bit of a thankless task, really, but uh, but we're still here. Yes, well, yeah, and thank you to all those fundraisers as well because it yeah. is an amazing service. Uh, it really is. Mm. Oh, so Jan, then so. How long how long have you been working in this in this industry in this field? Um, probably so I, I mentioned I'm a bereaved parent. So my son would have been 29 this year in um, October. And um, it was probably <clears throat> It was probably a year to 18 months after he died. And there was just such a gap. There was just, there was very little, well, there was nothing in this area at all. And um, I'm a talker. I'm, a, I, I'm somebody that could pick up a phone and try and find, you know, somebody to talk to me. Um, but I was very conscious that that isn't, always the case for people and um and it just seemed wrong that there shouldn't be something that's just offered and that you could say no to rather than feel lost and have to search so um so it was probably within well it was within about 18 months of of his death that um I got in touch with Sam's I've been in touch with him a, a little bit earlier than that um at the time as well, it was I couldn't drive, um, and so it, finding something that was accessible. Now, of course, we we kind of come on to screen, don't we? And there's you know we have that human contact, even if it's virtual. But um, you know, remembering that actually at that time, that just none of that was possible. Everything was phone or face to face. Um, but I um, I'd made contact with another bereaved mum um and basically we um with sam's blessing at the time decided that we would um bring back a sam's to bedfordshire there had been one some years before but it had stopped quite a few years before um, my son died um and yeah, and it started from there, really. So I think for about 10 years, I was the Bedfordshire contact for Sands and I ran groups and, you know, visit, we, you know, supported people one to one and couples and what have you. But I was, you know, as a volunteer um, in that peer to peer support. Um, You've been doing this a very long time then. I've been doing it a long time. And so, yeah, and did that for for about 10 years, I think. I worked, um, so I worked in different field completely, but I had, um, I'd started counselling training um, along the way and um, had had done lots of stuff. I volunteered for crews as well. And um, so it, bereavement was always the field that um, I felt that perhaps there was something I could bring to it. Um, and so, yeah, so I, I 
yeah, I went back to school and um, and yeah, trained trained as a counsellor, um, general um, counselling, but I, with a specialism for bereavement. Um, I volunteered for chums back in those days as well as a as a um, helping to run parent workshops that we do um, and one to one work with children and young people. Um, but yeah, and then. Yeah, Sands was always there in, in alongside that. So in the days when, you know, this is going back obviously a very long time, you, you know, I've got two living rooms in my house. And so that back room became a, okay, well, we couldn't hire anywhere. There was, you know, we didn't have any, um, but that's, that's what you did. But yeah, it's just, I, just when I didn't think you can get any more amazing, Jan, you do. <laughs> you just don't know me well enough, Louisa. <laughs> Did you want to tell us your story then from the beginning? So from your first pregnancy? From my first pregnancy. Yeah. Okay. So um yeah. So um I remember when we first thought about having children, um, it was I had always, I think growing up, it had always been that was my aspiration. You know, it wasn't a big career. It wasn't anything, I think, which is just as well. But, um, you know, any of those things, it wasn't about material stuff. I, you know, it was about having a family. And um, I'm one of two. Um, but there's a big, big gap. There's an eight-year gap between between myself and my brother. Um, and, I, and I can remember being one of those teenagers that was full of, do you know what? Yeah, I'm going to have big family. I'm going to have them close together. I'm going to blind. And it didn't work out quite that way. But um, we decided that we were going to start trying thinking, oh, well, you know, it can take us a year or so to you know, fall pregnant. And I think we fell pregnant that very first go if oh, you like wow. and um and I had um my first our first child a boy um he was um a little bit early <clears throat> I had preeclampsia oh, okay. um at the end of the pregnancy um and so he was born at 36 weeks and um and it, thankfully he was he was fine uh, a six pounder <clears throat> and yeah we fell in love with him and brought him home and did all the things that you do um a little bit maybe blase about it because it just had happened so easily um and I think I was just really young and a bit naive in lots of ways um and then um <clears throat> He was a year old um, when my my mum died, um, and she was very young. She was fifty three, and um, and I remember that year thinking uh, we'd been talking about maybe you know trying for a, a second, um, but with everything that went on with mum, it had kind of gone on the back burner a little bit, but. Um, <clears throat> <clears throat> excuse me we we then tried you know tried and um and I had a very early very early miscarriage um and then 
we just weren't falling pregnant. So um, we ha- we started that kind of, you know, well, I think maybe some of your listeners and um, viewers, a familiar story of <clears throat> wondering if there was something wrong and, you know, listening to all the advice that friends and everybody gives about, oh, you know, whatever it was, a whole lot of random things, but eventually going to the GP and um, and starting that kind of fertility, you know, checking when you're ovulating and temperature testing and all of those things. Um, and time went on. I had a, <clears throat> a little exploratory op when things weren't happening. Um, and it... Basically, I can remember sitting um, at the hospital, um, at the fertility clinic, having um, been on, um, I can't think of the name of the drug, whatever, anyway, it doesn't matter, Um, for about a year and nothing had happened. Um, And the the guy at the hospital saying, um, you know, your first, it may have been a bit of a fluke, you know, and actually there isn't anything that is showing up that should stop you, but actually, clearly, you know, it, it isn't working. The only thing at the time that they could suggest really was was going on the list for potential IVF. Okay. But it, this is a long time ago. Um, and actually the IVF figures were, weren't great. You know, they just weren't, the waiting lists were years um unless you could afford to do it we couldn't and um but also the success rates were very weren't very good at all um and so we had to kind of get our heads around that it maybe wasn't going to happen for us and you know we d- we had a lot of people um doing the count your blessings you know at least you've got one and and we did we counted our blessings you know he was he was fab um but it was well, it must have put a lot of stress on you though i know what it, i know what it's like when you try and fall pregnant and have a yeah. baby and then and it is, the world is full of babies isn't it and people yeah. being pregnant and 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 just people not necessarily knowing just what a battle it was to get your head round that actually we may only have one child and i know maybe for some people listening where you know perhaps their their precious child has has died and they're, and they're wondering uh, you know we were very blessed to have that one but i guess it's whatever your dream is and it's hard to let go of that dream um yeah it still make it's still hard you you've yeah. been blessed but it's still hard mm-hmm. And then I had, um, I did get pregnant again, and um, I guess about a year after that, but again, it was a really, um, you know, almost as soon as we found out, almost, you know, a week later, I wasn't. And to be honest, I kind of threw myself into other stuff, you know, it wasn't going to be, and um, and we, we just threw ourselves into lots of other things. And then my eldest son was nine when I had that kind of realization that I haven't had a period and um and kind of dismissed it because because I'd let go of that dream I think um and then found out actually I was I found out I think I was about 10 weeks by the time it 
you know, I, I kind of got my head around it. And um, and it just felt like, you know, oh, it just was magic. You know, we couldn't believe it. Um, we were tentative, I think. Um, I remember telling my son and he was so thrilled and he did that. He played that that card that makes you feel guilty as a parent because he was like, oh, my God, like, I can't believe I'm going to be a big brother. And I've waited so long. Oh, and, and, you know, he, I remember him telling me that um, they played some game when he joined his new school um, and it was in a hall and it was like, right, everybody with an older brother, you know, run to the north wall, everybody with a... Oh, and he was like, mum, there was only me in the oh. middle. And it's like, you know, with his class or whatever. And of course, I I felt so guilty, really. Um, but yeah, so they we were all over the moon. We were all absolutely over the moon. I kind of, it's funny, isn't it, when you look back, because I do look back now and think um, we were genuinely excited and thrilled. But I didn't buy or get anything at all ready. It was almost like, I couldn't quite grasp that after, you know, we've yearned for so long um, and given up. And um, and then suddenly it was here and it was, yeah, so I don't know. I, I We, we kind of just kept, kept going and we're thrilled with it. And um, but yeah, didn't didn't get a room ready, didn't buy stuff, didn't, you know, they just felt like there was lots of time. Yeah, yeah. And then I got to the end of the week 28 um we had when we found that we did find out actually that he was a boy um when we were pregnant and I'm so for me I'm so pleased we did because um because we named him we chose a name for him and so when we talked about him or to him um he was already Joe you know, we'd, we'd, we'd kind of already done this. That's nice. so, um, and in retrospect, I, I just feel, I feel really glad that we, it kind of, yeah, it did that, made a, a big difference. But yeah, end of 28 weeks, I woke up in the morning and thought, gosh, I'm not sure if I've weed or I've, um, you know, my waters have gone. And I can remember kind of creeping downstairs to phone the hospital and they said, listen, just come in and uh, and we check. And um, off we went. Um, and they, you know, did their swabs and whatever. And they said, actually, yeah, it, the waters have, have, have gone. And, um, but because I was only at the end of week 28, um, the local hospital were trying to find a bed in a level three unit, <clears throat> um, which was L&D in the end. Um, and so I was transferred straight away um, to the L&D. And then they, you know, we played a, a kind of waiting game really of, of constant tests and blood tests and everything to see, you know, they were worried about infection, but equally trying to give, you know, keep him in as long as they could. So it's, you know, it's a hard balance. Um, 
So then I had injections and whatever to strengthen his lungs and, you know, did everything really that we possibly could. Um, and then the day that I would have been, I, I'd started to bleed as well. So I was bleeding quite a lot. So they were monitoring constantly. And then on the day he was 30 weeks, um, he decided he'd done waiting. And um, and so um, I went into labour and it was super fast. Um, so, <clears throat> in fact, it was one of those days where there was thick fog I was, I'd called my husband to go, you need to come now. And a friend was having, was having our, our older son. Um, but I couldn't wake him. So I had to ring my friend who had to leg it down the road in her jammies and get the you know, you know, hammer on the door. Um, and she took our son and, and my husband came, but it was really foggy. So by the time he got to us, Joe had been born. Oh, okay. Um, and uh, and whisked away. So room full of people. Oh, so he didn't even. Did he not get to see him? He, no, no, no. He was so. By the time he arrived at the hospital, I was literally on my own in the room, and um, stunned, really. I think, and a bit beside myself, kind of going, "I don't know what's happening. I don't. I'm not even sure he's alive. Sorry. He was. Alive, he was alive when he was born." But um, he'd been whisked out. Um, you'd been left on your own, so there was no other person in the room with you—no doctor, nurse, or midwife. When uh, there was for a little while, and then um, and then they'd gone out as he arrived, and I said, "Look, you need to go and find out. You know what's happening." And um, he he went off, um, and it felt like age yeah you know, we felt like forever before he came back and in my mind I was doing all of that you know that he's died and actually um Dave doesn't know how to kind of tell me but anyway he came and he was still alive um and um he was actually doing fine they got him hooked up on event uh, no they haven't actually he was breathing on his own um but he was um, he was three pounds seven ounces. Oh. I don't know what that translates to in new money, um, but he um, and when David appeared, they they got Dave straight in really so that he could see him, and um, they took Polaroid pictures of him um, so that he could come back and go look. Here he is. Um, I remember when they used to do that my little brother's around the same age and he was, yeah. he was premature as well actually and they did the same thing we've still got the photo at home yeah, yeah absolutely and it's um you know I can remember just clutching it. it was such a precious thing you know it was like the proof that he was here I mean I glimpsed him as he was you know as he came out basically but then he he literally they flew him out the room oh. uh, oh, you, Jan. that moment there if you can remember like that you mm. they didn't even so by sounds things you didn't get given much information and they just obviously they were focused on him but yeah I think that was the thing I think the focus was very much on get him out and you know get him wherever he needed to be um and yeah I didn't I, I'd had gas and air um so I wasn't you know I, I wasn't drugged up or anything but I think I was just really shocked 
Um, it, it happened very quickly. Um, but he, yeah, he, he was amazing, really. He came out, he'd, he came out face first. So he had a wonderful, he had black eyes where um, like just his face presented. So his poor little face was bruised. Um, but he was long and uh, he had red hair like my older son. Um, yeah, he was he was perfect, really. Um, and he and they got me into Niku as quickly as they could, you know, wheeled in my little chair um, so that I could actually sort of see him and do. And and in fairness to them, they were amazing because because it is such an impossible situation to be in. You're a, you're a parent, but you can't parent. You can't just pick your baby up and cuddle them in. You know, he was attached to everything that you could possibly be attached to. Um, he breathed on his own um, and that he didn't go on a ventilator until he was 10 hours old. Um, and it, more just that he was, he was so it was just so tiring so um I was expressing milk he was being tube fed um so um I expressed milk so that he could have that and we managed to get Jamie my eldest um was able to come and, and see him and we did that bit where they um kind of make it so that you can with wires and everything attached but you actually get to hold and so all three of us were there that for that first time um so that's I've, the first time you got to hold him to properly hold him yeah so our hands were through the incubator side and we would do what cares we could um but yeah it took a it took a little while before we were actually sort of able to hold him um it's funny, actually, I'm talking about it now. He was, um, and it's only, it's, it's funny, isn't it? Because actually I haven't told the story for so long. And actually, he, I'm, I'm mixing it up. He was put on a ventilator when he was born for 10 hours. And after that, he breathed on his own. He didn't need the ventilator. So I got it the other way around. So, yeah, he was on it for 10 hours. And then as soon as he came off it, because you, if you saying well, you didn't hold him till then, and I was thinking, why didn't we hold him? Actually, we didn't hold him because of that to begin with. But, um, yeah, and then I guess we got a little bit, I got a little bit institutionalised. Um, so I was, I stayed in um, the hospital um, just for a couple of days and then went home. And it was really difficult because I didn't drive. So um, we would do the school run, go to the hospital. I would stay there until it was time to go back, do the school run again. Um, and then we would all go back with, his older brother, Joe's older brother, um, in the evening to, to visit. So it just sort of took over, really. Yeah. Um, but he was, you know, he he was gorgeous. And, you know, so I did everything that I could to, you know, care for him as much as I could with him being in a, in a plastic box. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, you know, and talked and read stories and sang. and But obviously, you know, he was 
for that first few days, he was in the sort of high intensity um, ward in Niku. So, you know, there were other incubators, you know, with a sort of room for a chair in between kind of thing. So, um, yeah, it was um, it was a frightening time because because I think, it, you know, everything beeps and flashes and you know and he's all just completely unfamiliar um grandparents were able to come um I remember missing my mum had died um and um I remember thinking oh I really I wanted my mum oh I bet you did I bet you really desperately wanted your mum yeah um but it was yeah it was it was a very surreal time and a really scary time because you would go things change so much in Niku so you'd go and they'd be like oh we're really happy with him he's doing this or that or the other he got to a point where he was tube fed and then he actually got strong enough that I was able to breastfeed alternate feeds um but he would be knackered he you know it was just so tiring and um but yeah but it was, but then you'd go in and like two hours later, it might be, we're just monitoring, we're keeping a little eye on this. And your heart would kind of go, what does that mean? Like, tell me, you know, tell me more, what are you looking for? You know, what's the, um, so it was a bit of a roller coaster. He got transferred then, he was doing so well um, that he was transferred from um, L&D back to our, our local hospital. Um, because he didn't need that high care anymore. We were, he, as they put it, they were growing him on. So um, he was putting on weight um, and just doing well. Like I say, he was alternate feeding um, and, and just getting a bit stronger. Um, he was dressed. He was, in, he was in a little baby grow. He was just in a, like the little plastic tubs that they put next to your bed. He wasn't in... Um, he didn't need the full incubator anymore, um, but he was. It was about getting him to a size where he could regulate his temperature a bit better. So again, school run. I'd get the bus and then be there during the day, and then come back out, and then we'd visit as a family at night. Um, so I think he was two weeks old when we left um, L and D, and then um, he lived. He lived for another um, week and a half, just over a week and a half um, in the local hospital. Um, and he'd, he'd been doing really well, but I'd gone in on that particular day uh, during the day. And he'd just been a little bit kind of out of sorts, kind of a bit um, just just not quite right. Um, but anyway, he but nothing like that would ring any alarm bells at all and I'd said to them oh look you know we'll be in at whatever time it was we were going to be in I had to go and get Joan from school um and I said listen um you know see you later and um and then my husband was a little bit late home from work and we were trying to you know get everyone fed and then go to the hospital and I'd rung the to say to please he's due uh an actual breastfeed rather than a tube feed uh, we're on our way but we're going to be a few minutes late so you know don't um I didn't want them to tube feed yeah. um and they said well actually we were just going to ring you and you know we 
come come in and we'll talk but um he's not in the same place he was in high dependency and we went in and i think in that in the short time from me leaving um to that phone call um he'd started to um grunt a little bit and his tummy had swollen and um when we went in um of course, all three of us were there. Jamie was with us. Um, he was now in an incubator and they'd got a little oxygen mask next to him just to raise the level. But when he was breathing, he was making a little grunt noise each time. And his tummy had had blown up. They showed a picture, actually. They'd taken a, a, a picture and it... It was like he was full of air bubbles. It was like if, if you looked at the inside of an aero, you know, all of those little individual. Um, and they'd identified that um, they thought he had something called its neck, necrotizing enterocolitis. Um, and a little bit of his um, intestine, if you like, had become infected and um that was what was causing the problem okay that what you that I can't repeat what you just said I that name but what what yeah. is that what does that mean so it just um so necrotic is like a dying off um and uh so it was like a, a little piece had I guess in the same way that sepsis and things would would um you know that actually the tissue dies um so they did everything they could yeah they did everything they could um we my husband took jamie home and to my friend and then came back and we spent the longest night i think of my life really um because he was getting more and more poorly and they were trying everything and there just didn't seem to be anything that was working i remember there being a, a parent room there that was quite long and thin um and it sort of it had a corridor next to it. Um, and I can remember just pacing up and down and up and down. I was with next to him like pretty much all of the time. And then every so often I would just have to step away and I would pace up and down this room and plea, plea bargain with God that I did whatever it took, but just like let him be okay. But I remember, it's funny, isn't it? Things that come into your mind. I remember there being... A midwife, uh, not a midwife, a uh, neonatal nurse who was quite heavily pregnant. And she came, she was, I don't know if she was finishing her shift or whether she was finishing early, I don't know. But I just remember this room had had um, a thin wall, a sort of glass down into the corridor. But I remember hearing another member of staff walking her out to the main door, kind of saying, are you going to be okay? And I kind of, I think in my head, I knew at that moment that he wasn't going to, he wasn't going to make it. But there was the most amazing doctor who hand pumped for, I, I, well, I know his hand was cramping and he would have to change hands, but just to keep him going. And every so often his heart would stop um, and then they would re manage to restart it. And this guy just like no matter that his hands were he was a big man um but he just kept going and I wish in retrospect 
like hindsight's terrific, isn't it? But I wish I'd had the courage then to say stop. Like, I know he's not going to make it. Um, and I know that I think they were doing what they were doing for us rather than for him um, because I wasn't ready to have them stop. But, yeah, it was it was really hard. But eventually they couldn't. I couldn't restart it um and yeah so we were with him and then and it was the middle of the night he died at, at sort of two o'clock in the morning <clears throat> so the place was kind of very still and quiet um and they had a little room that we went into my husband and I um and they brought him in a little Moses basket and bless him all of the tubes had been removed etc but um, he looked like he'd been in the wars, you know, and and made me feel again. Oh, why didn't I just let let him go um, a bit sooner? But I couldn't. I just couldn't at the time. And you can't. And then you said hindsight is a beautiful thing. And mm-hmm. now you know that you you exhausted everything, and he he still he still had to go. But had you not exhausted everything, you might be thinking, what if? Absolutely. Yeah, and and I kind of I know that now. Um, then not so much, um, but I think then that kind of again it's that mum's guilt thing, isn't it? You replay it all. What could I have done differently? What could I have done more, better? How could I have changed what happened? Um, you know, and and I think yeah, I know how normal that is now, but I think at the time I didn't have a clue. Um, but we had some time then with him. I do remember it being slightly surreal. I remember Dave and I being exhausted and shocked and stunned and holding him. Um, and I remember the um, one of the nurses coming in with a Polaroid camera, but bearing mind how long ago, uh, and saying like, you know, you might want to take some photographs. And I can remember she just put it on the side and left the room. and. Dave and I just looking at each other and going, why, why? And there was, so there hadn't been no, you know, actually in time to come, these might be precious, that actually, you know, these images and whatever. Um, And we did take some pictures with it, but I do remember thinking this is just really weird. (laughs) (laughs) But thank God, like, thank God that they did it because actually, you know, those, we had nothing. (laughs) 